everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Lights Out, episode six. And in this episode, we are returning to the paranormal world because it's been way too long and I miss talking about hauntings. Because this, I think, is probably Joel and I's favorite topic out of everything that we've covered on this show so far. I think we really have enjoyed talking about paranormal hauntings and especially the Warren cases. Dude, absolutely. Whenever I hear about a paranormal case, I'm always super excited about it and ready to get digging in. Oh yeah, me too, man. Because today we are digging into the Smurl family haunting, which is another just truly crazy case that the Warrens investigated. But before we get into the actual haunting case today, I wanted to talk about the Warrens for a minute because we're going to be covering quite a few of their cases because they have a ton of detail as far as what they observed And they're probably some of the most popular paranormal cases that are out there. And plus, Joel and I are definitely fans. We just find it super interesting to talk about. Because I know that we've already mentioned on the show that we're fans of the Conjuring movies. I think we talked about this a little bit in episode one when we covered The Devil Made Me Do It. And both of those movies are based on cases that Ed and Lorraine actually investigated. So I thought since we are going to be talking about quite a few of their cases, I think it was important to really give you guys some good information around who these two are and some background history on their lives because they're actually really interesting individuals. And I think it will just help give you some perspective around, you know, the way that they investigate the paranormal. They were both deeply religious and they actually practiced the Catholic faith, if you didn't know that. And so their faith really has a lot to do with the way that they investigate the paranormal. And obviously a lot of it is based upon traditional Catholicism. Let's start with the Warrens from the very beginning and where they were born. So both of them were actually born in the historic seaport city of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Ed was actually born on September 7th, 1926. And Lorraine was born a year later on January 31st, 1927. Now, Ed's father was a state trooper and a devout Catholic. And he enrolled him in Catholic school as a kid. So they went through Catholic school all the way. And the Warrens family lived in a very large old house that they rented from this cranky old woman who actually really didn't like their family all that much and didn't like the fact that The family had children and dogs living in her house. Now, what's interesting is that this lady that they rented the house from died when Ed was five years old. And apparently this is when Ed had his first paranormal experience because a few days later after she died, he actually saw her ghostly apparition materialize in his bedroom closet. And of course, when he looked at her, he remembers her looking exactly like this old woman that was their previous landlady. And Ed obviously told his father about what he had seen and what he had experienced. And his father just told him it was nothing to be worried about and pretty much just dismissed his story altogether. But this would just be the beginning of the paranormal experiences that Ed would have as a kid. Ed said that at one point during his childhood, he had a ghostly encounter with a nun one day. And that when he encountered this nun, he believed it was his father's dead sister. And he even told the nun that he was planning to become a priest one day because he's always been super religious, raised in the Catholic school. Obviously, Catholicism is very near and dear to his heart. He even told this ghostly nun that one day he wanted to become a priest. And apparently this nun told him otherwise. In fact, he remembers the nun actually telling him that one day he would do more work than 100 priests could and that he had far more important work to do. It's very interesting because I wonder... If in fact this ghostly nun was his father's sister and so maybe it was more of a, you know, comforting thing. I don't think he really described this as like a necessarily a scary encounter, but I think it was more of like a, almost like a vision to him, like of what he needed to do with his life. Cause it's interesting that he sort of from this sense really fulfilled what this nun told him, you know, with how many cases they end up investigating. But while living in that childhood home, Ed does recall being scared a lot of the times. In fact, so much so that he recalls even having to leave the house at certain points in time because the paranormal activity he was experiencing in his home was just way beyond what he could handle. And he would actually go outside and like stand in the rain as opposed to being inside his house because he was just that scared of what was going on inside. But at the age of 12, Ed and his family actually moved out of that haunted house that they lived in. And he says that by the time that he moved, he did sort of like make good with all the spirits that he had encountered there and said that he didn't have any like ill will towards that house or what he had experienced after the fact. Before we continue with Ed's story any further, let's talk a little bit about Lorraine's childhood. 
So Lorraine actually grew up three blocks away from Ed. How wild is that? And they wouldn't actually meet each other until they became teenagers. Lorraine grew up in a very well-off Irish family, and she also attended Catholic school, going to Laurelton Hall, which was in a nearby town of Bilford. Throughout her childhood, Lorraine always knew that she had gifts that others did not possess. At the age of 12, actually, while away at school, she discovered that she had the unique gift of clairvoyance. Clairvoyance in the sense of not necessarily being able to see the future or anything like that, but just being able to perceive events differently than others and being able to see things that others cannot see. One of her first psychic experiences that she had actually happened on Arbor Day. And that year, the nuns had organized a tree planting. And as soon as they placed the sapling into the ground, Lorraine stared up into the sky. And she remembers looking up into the sky and seeing this little baby tree in its full glory as an adult tree. And this was kind of the first time that she was able to really sense that, wow, I have this ability to see this little sapling as a full grown tree. And it's definitely not there right now, but kind of like for seeing the future in a way, but not, you know, necessarily events and things like that, but just being able to, you know, have this sense that not many possess. Because on another occasion, she actually told a nun that her aura which is like your electromagnetic field. And some people say they can see these auras physically. And she got into a little bit of trouble for saying this to the nun because she said that the nun's aura was brighter and stronger than the aura surrounding the mother superior, which is kind of like the head nun. The nun wasn't too happy hearing this. And when word got back to the mother superior, she was actually sent away because of this comment she made for more prayer and silence. But this was kind of like one of those first events where she started realizing like, wow, okay, I can see some things that others don't. And, you know, a lot of people don't believe the abilities that I have are real. So I kind of have to keep them to myself. And that's kind of how she was for a very long time, even when she meets Ed. So Ed and Lorraine actually met when they were 16 years old. And Ed was working as an usher at the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport. And the day that they met actually was June 23rd, 1943. Now, what's interesting is Lorraine has a whole story about how she met Ed and how she kind of had this, you know, premonition of her future with him and just kind of visualized Ed as an adult and realized after spending one day with him that they would spend the rest of their lives together. And he ended up being the only boy she ever dated as well. So they kind of view each other's relationship as being brought together by God. And this was kind of this divine meeting of the minds. And it kind of worked out in, you know, their favor and in their opinion, God's favor that they met each other and they really became this really strong paranormal team. So shortly after meeting each other at the age of 16, Ed turned 17 on September 7, 1943, and he enlisted in the U.S. Navy. And he ended up serving in the Navy during World War II and was aboard a merchant marine vessel during this time. But when Ed came home on leave, the couple ended up getting married on May 22nd, 1945 in Bridgeport at the age of 18 years old. And it wasn't long before they had a child together, a daughter named Judy, who was six months old when Ed got out of the Navy. And once Ed left the Navy, he decided to go to art school. He always been passionate about art and he was in art school for a little bit, but then decided, you know what, I can teach myself even better. And so that's exactly what he did. And so he started traveling around New England, painting landscapes, but also seeking out haunted houses to paint. Ed makes it very clear that he had a strong interest in the paranormal from his childhood. And obviously from the experiences he had, that just carried over into his adult life. Because not only did he start painting haunted houses, but he started self-teaching himself about demons in order to become a self-proclaimed demonologist. For those that don't know what a demonologist is, It's not any kind of supernatural gift or anything like that. It's basically just the intense study of demons and demonic beliefs. And from Ed's perspective, this involved obviously a lot of scripture and he came at it from a very biblical perspective. Obviously everybody tackles demons a different way and has different meanings and names for them. So, but from Ed's perspective, he wanted to become a demonologist because he was just so interested in demons in general, but he also wanted to help people get rid of demons that they may have in these haunted houses. So to kind of start becoming a paranormal investigator, he had a really interesting method for gaining access to these haunted houses. 
So he would go to a haunted house that he had heard about in the paper or read about or something like that. And he would actually sit outside and paint a picture of it. And then he would present the picture to the owner of the house and say, Hey, here's a gift for you. Is there any way I can take a look around? I'm really interested in the paranormal and I want to see what this is all about. So that's kind of how he got his start in investigating these paranormal claims that all these owners of these houses had. And with time and experience, he started really learning about how a lot of these haunted houses had what he believed demonic infestation happening inside of them. And based off of what he learned about demonology, he felt like he was better equipped to help people get rid of these demons that were living and possessing inside of their homes. And it's really interesting. I heard a story from Lorraine, actually, and she talks about how she really honed in on her abilities as a psychic when she started visiting these haunted houses with Ed. Because if you're a psychic and you have this ability of clairvoyance, if you go into a place that's haunted, you are most likely going to start feeling things and you may even be able to start contacting the spirits that are there. And that's exactly what Lorraine did. Because with time, she actually figured out that she could be a trance medium. So if she put herself into a trance, she was actually able to communicate with the other side and whoever these spirits were or entities that were inhabiting these houses. And it wasn't one of those things that she was like super good at right at the beginning. It took a lot of time. And I mean, these guys together over a 50-year career investigated over 8,000 cases of hauntings and specifically demonic possession. That's really where they built their niche in the paranormal community was being a resource for people that believe that were either being possessed by demons themselves or their house was potentially possessed or inhabited by some type of demonic entity. So as time goes by, they're visiting more and more haunted houses and people are starting to say really good things about them and they're starting to tell other people and soon enough, they are recognized as a legitimate paranormal investigating crew with the ability to rid these places of demons. And so as word gets out about them, they start doing more and more cases. And over time, they really become somewhat of an expert in this field of demonology as well as just the paranormal. And they got so experienced that eventually, even the religious authorities would contact them in order to have them help them with cases of demonic possession or possessed people that needed to be tended to. They became so well-known and popular from their work with the cases in the United States that they even traveled to Europe at one point to even work on some cases there. And according to the cases that they actually investigated and the people that were involved, they definitely tackled some of the most crazy, bizarre, paranormal cases ever reported. I mean, some of their cases include even the priests becoming possessed, people being physically attacked by these entities, as well as evil entities actually manifesting and possessing people. And they said that there were so many times and situations where it seemed like time didn't even exist and the laws of physics no longer applied, like truly paranormal situations that no one has ever seen before. The Warrens had investigated these things. And as time went on, in 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which is still around today and the family's involved in. And as we all know, they went on to write a number of different books about the cases they investigated, which a lot of them turned into movies with the Conjuring series and all of that. So it's really interesting how their work has just really evolved into something that so many people know. I mean, I don't think there's that many paranormal investigators out there whose work is so widely known, such as the Warrens is. If you're a fan of the paranormal or you watch any sort of haunting movie or show or anything like that, you've probably heard of some of their most popular cases. I mean, the Amityville Horror, the Perrin Family Haunting, which Conjuring is based upon. And so they really made a name for themselves in the paranormal community. Now, with all that being said, there's also a lot of people that are very skeptical about the Warrens and skeptical about their work because one of the things about them is we got a lot of books and movies about their work, but we didn't see a lot of actual photos and videos from all these crazy cases that they investigated. And they allege that they recorded all of these, so there should be evidence of it out there. But as far as I know, much of it has never even been released. Not only that, the Warrens actually have an occult museum where they have a lot of haunted objects. Annabelle the Doll, I'm sure you've heard about, that's in their museum. And I mean, I believe that they definitely have a lot of haunted objects in their museum. I mean, just based upon 
what they've collected over the years and what people have given them. Uh, they, I think it was even a part of their home at one point where they had all these haunted objects locked away, but I definitely love to go see their museum one day. So with all that being said, that leads us to our case today, which is the Smurl family haunting, which according to the Warrens, this was definitely one of their craziest cases that they investigated and was definitely one of the most terrifying they've ever been involved with. But before we get into the case, I need to thank our sponsor today, Care Of. Care Of is a really cool company that makes taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals super attainable and hassle-free. What's great about Care Of is that they have a quiz on their website that you take And they literally have some type of vitamin or supplement or natural remedy for any type of thing that you have going on in your life or just any extra support that you need for your body. The quiz goes through and asks you a bunch of questions like, are you, you know, what's your stress like fitness? uh, If you need help with your digestion, eyes, sleep, stress, all these different things care of has a solution for it. So if you're looking for a better vitamin experience, or maybe you don't even know where to start with vitamins. I highly recommend care of because they really do make it easy with their online quiz. They ask you specific questions and then they give you expert recommendations based on those selections. And plus you can adjust your pack at any time and what you receive is totally up to you. So right now you guys can get 50% off your first care of order. If you go to takecareof.com and enter code lights out 50 again, take advantage of the special offer. You get 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com and enter code lights out 50. All right, let's dive into the Smurl family haunting. Today we're going to be discussing the haunting of the home of Jack and Janet Smurl, who lived at 328 and 330 Chase Street in West Pittston, Pennsylvania. So the Smurl family was a very close knit family, and they originally lived in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. And both Jack and Janet grew up in the area and they actually met each other in 1967. And then they got married a year later in 1968. Both of them were raised in Catholic homes and had very strong religious beliefs. They were very devout Catholics, going to Mass every Sunday. I mean, they believed it. They prayed it. They were really into Catholicism. Jack was a Navy veteran who then worked as a neuropsychiatric technician. And Janet was a stay-at-home mom. And due to Hurricane Agnes in 1972, the Smurls were forced to move from Wilkes Bar to West Piston, Pennsylvania, due to the devastation caused by the hurricane. West Piston is situated between Scranton and Wilkes-Barre and gained prominence in the late 19th and early 20th centuries as an active coal mining city. Before Jack and Janet moved to West Piston, though, Jack's parents, John and Mary Smurl, had actually purchased a duplex in West Piston in the fall of 1943 for only $18,000. And at the time that they purchased the home, John and Mary Smurl knew very little about the previous occupants of the duplex except that the 328 side was owned by an elderly man and had been vacant for several years and that the 330 side was owned by an elderly woman who had rented it to tenants. And when they bought the home, they made all the appropriate checks on the house, the plumbing, lighting, foundation, termites, liens, and they found nothing wrong with the duplex at all. And with everything seemingly checking out, there's no red flags, there's no issues right off the bat. They moved in in the fall of 1973. For those that don't know, a duplex is a house that's split in two, essentially. And there's a front door for each side, and they're two separate addresses. Now, the duplex that they moved into was super old. It was built in 1896, and it was located on Chase Street, which is narrow and runs perpendicular to Wyoming Avenue. And it's a few blocks away from the town's only shopping center. There are several older duplexes on the northern side of the street, with newer single-family homes dominating the other side. It's your typical all-American, middle-class working neighborhood. It's clean, well-kept. There's American flags vivid in the daylight of the national holidays. It's just your typical, you know, small-town USA. When Jack and Janet moved to West Piston, they actually bought the northern side of the duplex for $4,000. What a deal. And they were delighted and happier than ever because not only did they have a new place to live and it was cheap, but they also were nearby their family. And Jack and Janet actually moved in with their two daughters into 328 Chase Street on October 1st, 1973. The Smurl family was super excited to be in their home, and so they decided to spend some of their money redecorating and remodeling it in order to make this old house you know, from the 1800s into somewhere they'd like to live. And for the first 18 months that they lived there, everything seemed to be going great, and they really enjoyed their new life because they were close to Jack's parents, 
And yeah, they really had no complaints. It was a really good situation. And people will even vouch for that. They said that for the first 18 months that they lived there, they had never seen a happier couple. And Jack would go to work. And when he'd come home, you know, he'd sweep up the kids, hug and kiss his wife. And everything seemed to be going really well. Jack and Janet participated together in community activities as well. The couple helped form a girls softball league and they worked long hours on the Cherry Blossom Festival, which aided community civic and youth groups. Yeah, when the family moved to West Pittston, they really made it their home. I mean, they got really involved with the church there. They were doing all these civic things for the community and they were really well liked by everybody. I mean, it seems like they really were enjoying their life there initially. However, the good times would come to an end in January 1974 when the family started noticing strange and bizarre things happening inside the home that they couldn't explain. For me, I'm thinking maybe these things were happening and they just were kind of on this high, you know, moving into the new home. They've got their parents nearby and just, you know, kind of really not paying attention to anything else. Plus they're doing construction. Their minds are really preoccupied. So it's not like they're settled in and really like, you know, listening to the house and, and seeing what's actually going on around them. But that all changes because shit starts going down in the house and starts getting really crazy. First, a mysterious stain appeared on brand new carpet they had just installed, and none of the family members could explain how it had gotten there. And it looked like a large round grease stain. And the night that they found it, John and Mary used a cleaning solution on the rug, and the stain came out completely. But two days later, when they came downstairs for breakfast, they discovered that the stain was back and this began a very frustrating and somewhat unnerving process because John and Mary would clean off the stain only to have it appear again after a few days. And again, no explanation of what could be causing it. Eventually though, they got tired of cleaning it and they took it down to the dump and they bought a new carpet, which didn't end up having the same problem. At this point, I'm not too worried about a stain. I mean, that's definitely inconvenient to have to clean up a stain on your carpet, but it's a lot better than what's to come. One night, Jack's TV randomly bursts into flames while he's watching his favorite Western film. He said it's like a pipe bomb was thrown at it. Like, can you imagine sitting there watching your favorite film and then all of a sudden just it bursts into flames? Like, you know, frightening and scary that would be on top of like wondering what the fuck just happened like tvs don't just explode and apparently it was like hard to put this fire out because the tv started like melting and it was just an absolute mess and then after this tv fire there was a number of other inexplicable blazes that started around the smurl household a new electric stove they had bought caught fire shortly after they bought it the wiring in jack's brand new car crackled into flames only days after he bought it And then it doesn't stop there. They started doing pipe repair jobs that would normally take a few minutes to fix. And then suddenly they realized it became a major project, which took hours to fix. And whenever he thought he had it fixed and turned the water on, the pipes would just continue to leak. And plumbing problems were just a constant issue. One drain pipe that both John and Jack worked on had to be repaired five times before it became stable. Jack and Janet took special pride in how they remodeled their bathroom. Among other things, they installed a brand new sink and bathtub. But one morning, they woke up to find that their brand new bathroom they had just remodeled had been scratched beyond repair with chips knocked out of it. So this is brand new porcelain sinks and tub they put in and they wake up and it's fucking destroyed, just torn to pieces like some type of wild animal, like a bear got in there and started tearing all these scratches into everything. But the scratching didn't stop there. They started seeing evidence of freshly painted woodwork and trim on the ceiling, which would have claw marks raked across it after they had just painted it the night before. Unfortunately, though, the strange activity was only getting started. During 1975, their daughter Dawn had several occasions where she came running into her parents' bedroom, screaming, that she just seen people floating around her room. And every time Jack would get up and go investigate into Don's room and he would find nothing, of course. It's also important to note that even though that the family was experiencing all of that activity, that they just didn't give a shit. Yeah, they just stayed there. They didn't even 
think like I would have been like, let's fucking move. Like this is fucking crazy. All this stuff is happening. We don't know what's going on. doesn't make any sense, but they, they stayed and life went on for them because they went on in 1977 to have more children. They had their twins, Shannon and Karen. And as soon as they had their twins, what's interesting is they report that the unexplained activity that was happening in the home began to intensify after they were born because not only did the paranormal activity increase in frequency, but it also just got way more fucking violent. They said toilets would flush without anyone using them. They would hear footsteps on the stairs when no one was on them. Drawers would open and close when no one was in the room. Radios would turn on with this blaring sound, even though they weren't plugged in. And then they started feeling random cold spots throughout the home. And sometimes in the early morning hours, Jack and Janet would be laying in bed and they'd hear lawn chairs creaking on their front porch and full well knowing that there was nobody in them rocking them back and forth. Because one time that this happened, they actually went downstairs to investigate and they found that the chairs were moving, but there was nobody in them. And it seemed as if like there was some invisible inhabitants in the chairs. Jack was even laying in his bed one night and he started feeling this gentle caressing on his shoulders. And he assumed that, hey, my wife is, you know, trying to make a move on me and trying to be all romantic. But then he was very surprised when he turned towards her and she was fast asleep. They also noticed as time went on that the household started smelling extremely foul, like dead bodies or like rotting or something like that. And for a while, the girls actually joked that they thought it was Jack's smelly feet. But no matter how hard they searched for this foul smell, they never found the source and they were never able to get rid of it. And later on, Jack actually recalls one of the first times that he felt like he noticed this foul odor. And he said it was during a time when he was kneeling before his bed, praying the rosary. As the events started getting wilder in their home, they definitely started thinking that something more sinister was at play here. And I think Janet more so than Jack, because I mean, Jack was going to work. He wasn't home as much as Janet was. And Janet was really experiencing the brunt of all of the paranormal activity. And it was really starting to affect Janet. I think it really started taking a toll on her because she felt like she was just going crazy because all this crazy shit was happening to her and there was nobody else around. Not only that, she recalls that some of the scariest moments she had was when she'd go down into the basement, of course to do laundry and while down there she would feel like she wasn't alone even though she was and she would oftentimes hear her name being called and she'd turn around expecting to see somebody or maybe it was her or maybe it was jack's mother or something like that and it was absolutely nobody she would just be down there and she'd hear like janet 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 in a female voice even and so she'd think that it was a you know, somebody that she knew or a human and there was absolutely nobody around. And that was even happening while the lights were turned on in the basement. And whenever Janet did turn around to look at where that voice was coming from, there was absolutely nothing there. And I think that really started to get to her. Yeah, because I think if you're not sure of what's going on, you're going to start thinking you're going crazy. Like I'm hearing voices like what the hell's going on? Am I schizophrenic? Or, you know, you start really thinking you're going crazy. And I think she was really trying to communicate with Jack about what she was experiencing. And I think Jack was pretty skeptical for a while until he started having some of his own experiences. And with time, you know, they were trying to figure out what was going on in their home on their own. And they just were not having any luck whatsoever. They kind of let this go on for over 10 months before they really felt like, okay, This is beyond anything that we can deal with. We got to reach out and start getting some help with this situation. One of the first places that they started their search was the Department of Mines because they were wondering if maybe there was, you know, some abandoned mine shafts below them or some type of activity happening with their home, like subsidence, which is like the sinking of the ground because of underground material movement, which is caused by mining because this is a big mining town that they lived in. So they were thinking logically as far as like maybe this is just something totally normal and logical and, you know, it's not something paranormal or the house isn't haunted. And so they actually reached out to the Department of Mines to have them check their foundation for evidence of cracks or crumbling. 
but nothing was found. Because I guess potentially you could think that maybe some of the unexplained movement with the house and things inside the house was a result of, you know, subsidence or the ground beneath it moving and the foundation crumbling. But that was not the case. When that explanation failed to explain what was happening to them, the search continued. And all the meanwhile, the annoying disturbances that they had once had turned into truly frightening experiences because family members started noticing scratches on them as well as on the walls continuously. So after checking off the natural explanation for the events that were happening in their home, the Smurls were still not ready to completely go all in on the reason for the activity in their home being that the house is haunted, which is really interesting to me because things just get even crazier from here. Because in 1985, all of this sort of annoying paranormal activity turned into truly frightening experiences. Family members started having strange scratches appear on their bodies with no explanation of where they came from. And according to the family, the walls would continuously rattle. So you can imagine what that would be like being in your home and then out of nowhere just having this rattling sound coming from your walls. Not only that, the house was often freezing cold, which is very much a sign of paranormal activity because a lot of times there's cold spots where spirits hang out. So that to me tells me there's definitely something paranormal happening. There were even times when Jack's parents, John and Mary, would hear loud, abusive, and obscene language coming from Jack and Janet's side of the duplex, even though it wasn't them arguing. I can only imagine them hearing like, fucking bitch and like just the most fucked up shit coming from this other side and these guys were catholic so obscene language like that probably didn't happen that often if if at all so to hear that kind of crazy shit coming through their walls probably really freaked them out but then shit gets really fucking wild because two days later you know the house is feeling icy cold and all of a sudden while janet's in the kitchen This black human-shaped form just shows up out of nowhere. According to Janet, it's almost six feet tall and it had no facial features. Apparently, it just kind of manifested itself in the kitchen and then dematerialized through the wall and then appeared to Jack's mom, Mary. So it's just like going back and forth between them, showing them what's really there. And once they saw this thing, the haunting turned violent things got just absolutely crazy it's like whatever this black form figure is this entity had enough with whatever they were doing there or was ready to take things up a notch because it wasn't soon after the figure arrived that a large ceiling light fixture randomly just came crashing down on jack's daughter shannon nearly killing her and what's interesting is it was on the very night that their 13-year-old daughter, Heather, was going to be confirmed in the Catholic Church. Is there a coincidence with that, you think? Or is there a connection there? To me, I feel like there's a connection there because clearly we're starting to see that potentially this is an evil entity, clearly, if it's ripping a ceiling fixture off, which they said this thing was bolted. Like Most ceiling fixtures don't just come crashing down because otherwise people wouldn't put up fixtures. So the fact that this thing seemingly got ripped out of the ceiling and plummeted down on their daughter clearly shows that whatever this entity is it's evil in nature after the ceiling fixture mysteriously came crashing down it wasn't long before things got even more violent because one night janet was violently pulled off her bed after making love to her husband jack while he lay there paralyzed gagging from a disgusting smell that filled the room when this happened and then if that wasn't crazy enough At one point, Jack even levitated off of the bed. So whatever is haunting their house is clearly pissed off at this point and is deciding to just take everything up 10 levels. Because even the family's pet German Shepherd, Simon, was repeatedly tormented and picked up and thrown around the room and whipped by an invisible force. And while all this is happening, there's terrible pounding coming through the ceilings and walls and scratching noises heard ghostly dogs are running through the duplex and their daughter shannon is even tossed out of the bed and down the stairs literally the whole house is under attack at this point they're hearing invisible snakes hissing 
bedspreads are being shredded. There's heavy footsteps seemingly running around the attic. I can't even fucking imagine this experience whatsoever. Apparently, the house was just being ravaged by whatever this evil entity is that's possessing the home because even the neighbors started getting scared because they heard screams coming from the home, obviously all the strange noises, and some neighbors even said that they felt whatever this presence was in their own homes when this was happening. The neighbors also reported that they could even hear screaming and all those loud noises when the family wasn't even home. Holy shit. I can only imagine what you think. I mean, I think everybody's probably starting to think this house is fucking haunted. I mean, what the hell is going on here? There's nobody home and all this shit's going on. I mean, I don't know what I would think. I'd probably think it's haunted and I'm sure everybody else started thinking that. The neighbors also reported that at night, even when the family was home, the lights would be flickering and they could see all that going on through the windows and just showing very unusual behavior, like even the lights on the front porch going off. So it was affecting everything on that house. That's crazy, man. Whatever this thing is, is very powerful if it's able to completely, you know, take over the house and everybody in it. I mean, holy shit. So after years of this activity going on and still having no answers as to what it was causing it. And obviously they're thinking something evil is afoot here. This house is definitely haunted because there's nothing else that can explain what's been happening to them. Once the Smurls came to the realization that their house was haunted and there was most likely demonic activity happening inside their home, they went to their church to seek help. And what's crazy to me, and I feel like this happens more often than not, but when they went to their priest and said, Hey father, we need your help. We believe our house is possessed by demons or infested with demons. Can you help us? Their priest essentially said, no, I can't help you with this. You know, we have to get approval from the Vatican or the higher ups in the Catholic church, and they're not willing to come and perform an exorcist in your home. And Janet's obviously super confused by this because why the hell not? Clearly we have something going on. So her initial attempts to get the church's help just completely failed. They did not want to help whatsoever. So at this point, the Smurls are desperate for help, any help they can get. And that's when they heard about the Warrens. In January 1986, they decided to get in touch with them. And I believe Janet actually went to one of the Warrens lectures because they'd often do lectures at local colleges. And so she went up to Connecticut and sat in on one of their lectures. And afterwards, she stopped them and said, hey, can you help me and my family? We are having an issue with essentially demonic activity in her home. And the Warrens were the first ones to seemingly take her seriously about what was going on. And they seemed to genuinely care about the Smurl family and what they had been going through. And so Ed and Lorraine Warren agreed that they would come up to the Smurl home in Pennsylvania to investigate what was going on. And when they went to the Smurl home, they brought along a registered nurse and psychic named Rosemary. Because one of the first things that the Warrens would do when they had investigated a case is they would check the well-being of the individuals reporting the paranormal activity. Because, I mean, you could imagine that in a lot of cases I'm sure they went to, it was actually just all in the person's head. Maybe they had some sort of mental disorder or maybe they were on some type of drug or something like that. And that was the reason they were reporting paranormal activity to the Warrens. So they brought along a nurse and psychic in order to help them sort of vet out whether or not this case was legit or not. Along with a medical check, they would ask them a lot of different questions about their religious beliefs, the happiness of their family life, and whether or not they practice Satanism. Because from the Warrens' perspective, they believe that there was two ways that this could happen. One being if you did some type of ritual or you practice Satanism and you somehow summoned or conjured some type of demonic entity into your home. And they also asked them if they had ever used a Ouija board before or invited spirits or the supernatural into their home. Of course, the Smurls' answers to these questions were absolutely not. We are devout Catholics. We hold our faith in high regard. Like There was no way that they were going to conjure anything or invite anything into their home. So they were super confused as to why you know there was some type of evil entity haunting their house. Ed and Lorraine's explanation for this is that because they were such devout Catholics and Christians and they believed in God as much as they did, they were, you know, sort of prime targets for the devil to try and, you know, tempt them and try to, you know, bring them away from their faith and see 
if they could you know, destroy their family. And once Ed and Lorraine arrived at the home and went into it, it did not take them long to start seeing paranormal activity. Apparently, you know, Ed's a demonologist and he carries a lot of sacred relics with him that apparently he got straight from the Vatican as well as holy water and all of these different tools with him. And apparently when they first went into the Smurls home, they went upstairs into the bedroom and Ed, he laid out all of his relics and crucifix and rosary you know, out on the bed. And apparently like as soon as he did this shit started going off in the, in the room, like the TV turned on and off and like stuff started dancing around on the dressers and just that they saw paranormal activity almost immediately. Like this thing was pissed off that they were there. And Lorraine was actually able to detect exactly what spirits were there. And apparently there was four evil spirits dwelling within the Smurl family home. And she said that three were minor and human spirits, but the fourth spirit was truly evil and was a demon. And this demon was definitely not a happy camper. And because there was no evidence of family trauma or occult invitation or tragedy, the Warrens concluded that this demon must have been dormant inside this home for a very long time. And then when they moved in, you know, not only did they move in with these young kids, which obviously the Warrens believe that demons draw on the emotional energy generated by the girls because they're so young. And so that allowed it to have enough energy to sort of really manifest itself into this more powerful entity. And then obviously the demon's going to be pissed off that he's got a bunch of, you know, Bible believers and Catholics inside of their house. So that would make sense for why the activity would just start, you know, going off the rails when they moved in. In order to try and expel the demon from the home, they tried to induce the demon to expose itself through religious provocation. Ed said that he would go into a room and then he would turn on Gregorian chanting, which if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's some pretty interesting, you know, chanting from, you know, going way back to like the medieval times, but it's really popular within, you know, like old Orthodox Catholic churches and things like that. I mean, it goes way back. And when they would play this music on low and start praying, apparently this would just fucking piss off the demon to another level to the point where it starts shaking the mirror and dresser drawers. And then another time that they did this, it started spelling out, you filthy bastard, get out of this house. And the only way that Ed could seemingly get the activity to subside is if he prayed and sprinkled holy water all over the room but it would only stop temporarily and then it would continue again. The pounding in the walls would get worse. Jack and Janet were slapped, bitten, and viciously tickled at one point. Items would disappear, and one day, Janet tried to talk to the demon, asking it to pound once for yes and twice for no. And she asked the demon whether or not it was there to harm them, and it rapped once for, hell yes, I'm here to hurt you. Meanwhile, Jack is being visited by phantom women dressed in colonial clothing and even more terrifying. This is probably one of the craziest things that happens in this whole case. Jack ends up getting raped by a scaly succubus, which is a demon posing as a female and attempts to torture their victim sexually. And Jack actually got raped by this demon that was posing as an old woman with a young body. And apparently this thing was just nasty. Like it had red eyes. It had sores all over it. And it was just like oozing this nasty stuff. The mouth was green. It was a really fucking scary situation. And, and it really fucked up Jack. Even Ed Warren at one point was choked and overtaken with a terrible sickness. And the demon didn't stop there. It even got into bed with Janet and sexually assaulted her as well. At one point, they even heard pig noises coming from the walls. That's fu- that's terrifying to me. Pig noises? Because that fucking reminds me of Saw. For whatever read the pig, you know, from Saw, every time I hear like that squealing noise and stuff, it just reminds me of those scenes from Saw for whatever reason. But that's fucking terrifying. So obviously shit's getting out of control and they have no idea what to do. Ed and Lorraine Warren are doing the best that they can, but they're they're not necessarily there to fix the issue. They're definitely there to root out what the issue is 
And once they identified that it was a demonic entity and a powerful one at that, they knew that they needed to get help from somebody higher up in the church. An expert exorcist would be required in order to rid the house of the demon. So the family continued to reach out to Roman Catholic churches in the area to try to get somebody to come perform an exorcism. And at one point, she had thought she was going to get help from a man named Father O'Leary. And every time the answer seemed like, you know, we'll consult, but we're not sure if we're going to get involved or not. And that to me is so weird. And I guess there's this whole thing like Ed and Lorraine Warren definitely believe in like the old version of the Catholic Church, I guess you could say. And that a lot of Catholic churches in the U.S. don't even recognize like exorcisms as being a real thing or or will even remotely fuck with that at all. Like they just don't even do it. And so they really do have to go all the way up the chain to, you know, the Vatican in fucking Rome to try and get help with situations like this. At one point, Janet thought she was going to get help from a man named Father O'Leary, but she soon figured out that this person didn't even exist. Because apparently, according to Ed, this Father O'Leary guy was actually the demon itself impersonating a priest. So like she got a visit from a priest thinking that it was this guy, Father O'Leary, and it turns out that it was not even a human at all, but just the demon impersonating one. That's fucking crazy. So obviously after all these things happen, Ed is freaking out because he's like, this is absolutely serious situation very dangerous we need to get a vatican mandated exorcist in here pronto and that's when father mckenna comes into the picture father mckenna was at one point a vatican mandated exorcist but he had since left the catholic church because he didn't want to basically follow the rules that the catholic church was mandating for him to follow so he decided to leave the catholic church but still continue to do exorcisms And he had worked with the Warrens on a number of other different exorcisms. In fact, he had done up to 50 exorcisms with the Warrens through the years. When he came to the Smurl's house, he attempted to do an exorcism. He'd be doing his prayers and his blessings in Latin, which is a part of the exorcism ritual. But unfortunately, this did not go well. And it only seemed to piss off the demon even more because the infestation just intensified. Things just got way worse for the family. More family members reported being sexually assaulted or just made ill by whatever the entity was. Janet even said that she had been sexually assaulted by the shadows she had seen. And their daughter Karen at one point fell seriously ill from a strange fever and nearly died from this unexplainable infection. Their daughter Dawn was almost raped by the evil presence and Janet and Mary had traces of beatings, bites, and slashes all over their body. Everybody at this point is just completely depressed and scared. And Ed and Lorraine Warren were there this whole time because they're there investigating and recording what was happening. And Ed Warren explained that they had moved into the second demonic stage, oppression, which follows infestation and is followed by possession and death. So things are just getting really, really serious at this point. It's violent. People are being physically assaulted. So he had Father McKenna perform another exorcism in late spring. But like the first... This exorcism did not yield any positive results. In fact, the family tried to get away from the house and go on camping trips in the Poconos. But the demon followed them there and even harassed Jack at work. This thing was relentless. And at this point, it became clear that even if the family moved out of their home, this demon was going to follow them. Because clearly this demon is targeting them, according to Ed, because they are this devout Catholic family. And this demon is feeding off of them and wants to see them destroyed. After these two exorcisms performed by Father McKenna didn't work and seemingly getting nowhere with the Catholic Church for help, the Smurls really didn't know where else to turn. So that's when they went to their local television station and the newspapers and they were interviewed about their experiences. They hoped by getting their story out there that somebody would come to help them and potentially get rid of this evil entity in their home. I mean, their ultimate goal was to try and shame the Catholic Church into sending a Vatican-mandated exorcist to their home. But this didn't really help them all that much, unfortunately. In fact, I think it kind of made things worse for the family. Because going to the press with this crazy story about this insane haunting that's happening in your house, I mean, I think a lot of people, if not the majority of people, are going to be super skeptical about it. And so people started, you know, really questioning whether or not 
they were telling the truth about what was happening to them or maybe that they were just doing this to try and sell their house or make money you know off of the haunting and so it became really really tough for the family at this time and it's like this demonic entity knew what they were trying to do because later when they got home after these interviews on tv janet levitated off of the bed and then this entity hurled her against the wall and then it decided to take it up even a few more notches and it appeared to jack as this monstrous creature resembling a pig on two legs at one point a human hand rose up through the mattress and grabbed janet by the back of the neck and then jack was raped again that's fucking crazy the whole concept of spirit raping is like fucking just mind-blowing it's like hard to even wrap your head around it because essentially the spirit is like taunting you in a way that's the way that ed explained it is that the reason for this demonic entity doing this was just to embarrass him and create more fear in jack and janet and so that was how they did it because they knew that that would just be so disgusting to them you know and it's not like this thing is earthly at all so it's not like it's getting some sort of sexual satisfaction out of doing this it's purely a fear thing for it. it's clearly to embarrass them and cause them even more grief and it's completely mind-blowing how that evil entity can appear in complete physical form and be able to do that yeah i mean that just tells you a lot about this entity clearly it's extremely powerful at this point and i think with all the people in the home and all of them being scared and they have all these young kids it's just been feeding off of them and their energy for so long that it is powerful enough to physically assault them and physically manifest itself. And it seems like it, this entity is really enjoying whatever, you know, all these things that it's doing to them. The Smurl family was really just going through hell at this point. And not only that, on top of everything, because of their media interviews, their house turned into a tourist attraction. Like there was press outside all the time waiting to ask them questions. And obviously just people were showing up to just look at this haunted house. And obviously skeptics wanted to investigate. So they just had all these people like hanging outside of their house all the time. So when they left the house, they were bombarded with media and questions and everything and, you know, insults and whatnot. So things just all around for them were horrible, absolutely horrible. When they went on these interviews, they really gave all the details as far as what was going on. I mean, they told them all the crazy things that were happening to them and the torment that they were going through. But this really created a lot of skeptics out there. And one particular person that was a neighbor of theirs actually was Paul Kurtz. And he believed that the family was concocting this huge story in order to profit from book and movie contracts. This Paul Kurtz guy was the chairman of a skeptical organization called the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal and was from Buffalo, New York. And he actually reached out to the Smurl family and the Warrens to see if he could come in and do his own investigation. He even offered the Smurl family to put them up in a hotel for a whole week with private security while him and his team examined the house. He also even offered free psychiatric and psychological examinations which obviously he wanted those because he wanted to make sure that, you know, it wasn't just one of those factors that was causing this alleged activity. What I think is really interesting though, is that the Smurls declined Kurtz's offer because they believe that this man had already made up his mind that this was just a giant hoax and a made up story and that he was going to come in and sort of expose them and make shit even worse for them on top of that. Because God, I mean, if the whole community turned on you and the press turned on you and everybody just thought you were making all this shit up and you were just this fraud, I don't know how much worse your life could really get at this point. And sure enough, this Kurtz guy later on wrote in an article for the Skeptical Inquirer that the case was not paranormal. He did not believe their story whatsoever because he cited discrepancies in Don Smurl's accounts of her experiences and was very critical of the Warrens, as many people are. And not only that, he even suggested natural explanations for some of the phenomena that the family was experiencing, including abandoned mine voids in the area, which could have caused some of the strange noises. He said that Jack Smurl was just delusional, that he was being raped by a ghost, like how could that even be possible? And that 
the broken sewer pipes and foul smells that they were smelling were just pranks by teenagers or something like that. I don't know what I think about those reasons. I mean, I think there's probably better natural reasons for that, but I guess from a skeptic's point of view, you know, if you don't believe in the paranormal, then you know, that's the best that you can come up with for what, what's happening to them. Kurtz also pointed out that there were no police records of complaints of the haunting by Mrs. Smurl. And she did claim that she contacted the police. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a little weird. I mean, if there's no police reports, but then again, what could have happened is she calls the police, tells them my house is haunted. I have a demon here. They may have just been like, yeah, sure. Whatever, ma'am you know, calls when something really is happening, you know, for all we know, they may have never even just taken a report, but I got to say this next point that he makes is definitely one that I think we should all take a little bit more seriously because he really thought there was definitely motivation to make money with this case. And he knew that the Smurls were starting to talk to, you know, film companies shortly after the story broke in the press. Cause obviously this is like a really good story for a movie and they definitely were, you know, reached out by different production companies and, and things like that to see if they could make a movie about it. And the Smurls have obviously denied all of this. And they've said that obviously we would never do something like this or fake something like this for money. And there's no motivation from that whatsoever. This next point though, I could see how skeptics would take this and maybe think, Hmm, you know, is Ed and Lorraine Warren telling the truth? Because during a press conference in August, 1986, he told reporters that he had recorded paranormal sounds, groanings, and gruntings, and had videotaped an unclear image of a dark mass moving about the house. When asked by journalists and by Kurtz to produce, you know, where's the evidence? Show me the tapes. Ed Warren declined. And his reasoning for not producing them was that he had already given the tapes to a TV company. Hmm. I mean, that is a little suspicious for sure. That's my whole thing with the Warrens too, is like they claim to have all this footage and recordings and audio recordings, video of all this crazy paranormal activity that they witnessed, yet I feel like we've never seen any of it or it's never been released or even leaked, which is very interesting to me because I definitely see how you know people that are very skeptical of them definitely question you know their work and question whether or not they are just doing this for money or their you know their true intent. And you would think that if they had all of that film evidence and recordings that they would be proud to show everybody what they've captured that this stuff is actually going on seriously though like just shut the skeptics up like show the tapes show the evidence and who's going to dispute you know hardcore proof that's caught on video of a black mass moving around you know like that's my whole thing too is like show us the evidence and then you know everybody takes you seriously but that seems like it never happens and apparently it was just the reporter's who he told that he gave the tapes to a production company. But what he actually told Kurtz was, is that the church had exclusive possession of all the evidence that he had captured. However, when they went to the church authorities and asked them, Hey, did Ed Warren ever turn over any tapes or any evidence to you guys? They've always said no. What's also interesting too, is that reporters often ask, like, can we stay in this haunted house? Like we want to witness this firsthand, you know, we'll capture it and you know, write about it and tell all the people and everything. But the Warrens always declined the request to stay. And to be fair, Ed's reasoning for doing this and not allowing reporters into the house was because he felt like, you know, we already gave you an opportunity to support the situation. And now you're trying to exploit the situation for press coverage and whatever to have a good juicy story to share. And I'm just looking out for the family and what's best for them. And I do understand that. And I think you know, it was good that the Smurl family did have somebody like that on their side, even though, you know, people were questioning their story. The next thing that the Smurl family did was contacted a medium named Mary Alice Rinkman. And Mary examined the house and ended up coming to the same conclusion that Lorraine did, that there was four spirits inhabiting the house. And she identified one as a confused old woman named Abigail and another as a dark mustached man named Patrick who had murdered his wife and her lover and then was hanged by a mob. However, she wasn't able to identify the third spirit, but she definitely knew that the fourth one was a powerful demon. Eventually, because of all the press coverage the Smurl family was getting, it finally pushed the Scranton diocese from the Catholic Church to take over the investigation. And with the Warrens' help, they started planning a mass exorcism with several priests. 
They even had prayer groups come to the house to give comfort and pray over the home and the family. Eventually, the Smurl family's prayers were answered because Father McKenna arrived for a third time to do another exorcism. But this time, he brought alongside him several other priests as well as a group of parishioners from the local church. And this was in September of 1986. And so with the help of the multiple priests and this group of parishioners, they believed that they would be able to perform a major exorcism, which would rid the house of this demonic entity once and for all. And apparently when they did this third exorcism, all of the priests went throughout the entire home as well as around the outside of the home doing their ritual, which includes you know having the relics with them, holy water, doing their mass in Latin, and a bunch of other things that we don't even know about. And apparently this exorcism worked because after they concluded the exorcism, it seemed that the demonic activity had stopped and there was no phenomena that occurred for almost three months afterwards. And just when the Smurl family thought that they were finally rid of this demon before Christmas 1986, Jack again saw the black form manifest itself in front of him. And this time, it was there to try and possess him. Scared, he clutched his rosary and started praying, hoping that this was just an isolated incident and that this wasn't going to all start happening again. The banging noises, the terrible smells, and the violence. But unfortunately, he was wrong because it did start again. So at this point, they're like, we've had three exorcisms, although none of the exorcisms were mandated by the Vatican which in Catholicism, that's a really huge deal, especially when it comes to exorcisms. It absolutely must be mandated from the Vatican itself in order for it to be official and for it to be effective. Once the paranormal shit started up again, though, the Smurl family had enough and they decided to move to another town, get away from the haunted house and just hope and pray that the demon doesn't follow them. And what's interesting to note about this, though, is that their story about this haunting was actually going to be written in a book called The Haunted. And that was scheduled to go to press in 1988. So they actually moved right before the book came out. And once they moved to their new house, the activity absolutely followed them. And so finally, they were sanctioned an exorcist by the Vatican. And in 1989, this exorcist came out to their home, their new one, and performed one final exorcism. And apparently, if you get an exorcist from the Vatican, that's all you need. Because as soon as this exorcist did his thing, they had no further visits from this black mass or this demon and no further unexplained phenomena happen in their new home ever again. And according to Ed and Lorraine Warren, apparently all it took was an exorcism performed by someone from the Vatican. And apparently, I don't know, they're better than... You know, Father McKenna was, I mean, even though he was part of the Vatican at one point, I don't really totally understand that or why, you know, this sort of worked out the way that it did. But apparently the Smurl family had no further issues at all. They never had any sort of strained activity happen. No more visits from this demon, you know, for the rest of their life. I mean, everything's just been good to go after that. But it's also interesting to note that not only did the book The Haunted come out, but they ended up making a movie in 1981 called The Haunted. And Joel and I actually watched the movie. It's actually pretty good for a movie from 1991. And I definitely recommend you watch it because it definitely gives you a good visual for this case. But I don't know. I definitely see why skeptics think that maybe this was just a big concocted story. And with the help of the Warrens, they sort of flipped it into, you know, this moneymaker through the book and the movie. But then again, you know, maybe they, this experience was completely authentic and the Warrens were telling the truth and just, you know, they decided to use these outlets in order to get their story out there. I mean, who really knows? But that is where the Smurl family story ends. As far as we know, nothing else ever happened to them weird. And apparently when people moved into the Smurl family's old house, they've never reported any strange activity in the home at all. So clearly the house itself wasn't haunted. It was some type of entity or unexplained phenomena that was happening in relation to the Smurl family living there. But I mean, for all we know, it could have been some sort of evil entity or evil spirit that was there to attack and torment the Smurl family. And the reason why, I really don't know. So after knowing everything that happened to the Smurl family, do you think that they were telling the truth and that this 
demon was really there and they really had this experience? Or do you think this was all concocted? Because I don't really know what I think. I think there is a possibility that this was all real. But at the same time, the more I read about the Warrens and the more I learn about their approach to the paranormal, the more skeptical I become. But again, I wasn't there. And I don't know for sure. Maybe Ed and Lorraine Warren did have all of this evidence of what they captured in the home and it's just being kept safe somewhere. I mean, who really knows? What do you think? I believe the story is true just due to how many people were involved in this case and how much uh, evidence and what they claim that they saw within the house. And there were lots of bystanders and neighbors who testified that they did see uh, strange behavior in the house and screaming and, and all of that in there that was going on during the time. But then again, I'm still on the fence with it is possible Ed and Lorraine were fabricating the story uh, with the intentions of profit with the book and the movie. So it's, it's a tough call. It really is. I mean, I don't think we'll ever really know exactly what happened, you know, on chase street, but I think the story nevertheless is very interesting. And I think there's definitely a lot of commonalities between this haunting and other hauntings. So again, and you brought up a great point. There was, you know, a lot of people that, seem to witness at least some of the strange activity that was happening at the home. I mean, whether or not it was a demon, I don't think we'll ever know. Cause I mean, it also depends on what you believe a demon is. And, you know, again, Ed and Lorraine Warren approached this from a very religious perspective. So there's also a chance that maybe what they were perceiving as a demon maybe was something else. And I mean, a lot of these details, I'm like, wow, they're very detailed as far as what they saw, what they smelled so, you know, why would these adults just make this shit up? I mean, they seemed like very reputable people and had a good standing in the community. So again, why put all that on the line just to make up a story to hopefully make a few bucks on it? And like, let's be real. How many people have even heard about this case? Probably not as many as you would think, as well as the movie. How much money could that movie have possibly like raked in? It's not like the Smurl family is like millionaires now because of this case. So I don't know. I think it's really hard. I think it's good to have a healthy you know, bit of skepticism when you approach these paranormal cases. But at the same time, I think, you know, some of it kind of got to believe in a little bit. So yeah, you'll have to definitely let us know what you guys think about this. Cause I'm very interested to hear your thoughts and opinions on what the Smurl family went through. But with all that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of lights out podcast. If you did, we'd love if you subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and check out the show on YouTube. Also, we always appreciate you guys' feedback with rating and reviewing the show, especially on iTunes. That really helps us out. But yeah, that's it for us today. We will see you guys next time. And as always, lights out, everybody.